something close to 180 million people in this country have received those vaccines. And we have not seen any outcroppings of the sort of occasional but, but concerning side effects that you sometimes see in vaccines. Very, very, very low rates. I mean, we're talking about the one in the million range, but we have not seen that. And after 150 million people vaccinated, you would expect if it was going to happen, we would have seen it. And it has not happened. This is the Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs, anyone thinking about a startup or anyone looking for a post-pandemic pivot. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we look at vaccinations and the wait and see attitude some people have. Here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. No matter who you run into these days, people want to know whether you got Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, or from outside the United States, something else entirely. Are all vaccines created equally? Who knows? But we will very shortly. We're on location with Christopher Gill, professor of global health at Boston University. Welcome to the Language of Business. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us. How do you differentiate amongst all of these different vaccines? It's a great question because it's not a simple question. And the reason it's not simple is that the efficacy of a vaccine is going to vary a little bit depending on the population that's being studied and also the variants that are circulating through that population at a time. If you run a study where it's all the original wild-type Wuhan variant, which had not yet acquired any of these sort of nasty tricks in terms of evading the immune system, then the vaccine is going to behave very, very well. Whereas if you do a study where it's all Delta and the Delta is sneakily trying to bypass your immune system, then the vaccine will appear to work less well. And so there's that sort of spectrum of challenge there. And so studies that were done quite early on in the development of these new vaccines, like the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, which were the first to come through, were largely unaffected by these variants, at least in the United States, whereas some that have come much later, such as the CureVac vaccine, had to contend with a lot of variants in their population, which I think really punished them. If you looked at this from a high level, and regardless of the manufacturer, do you think the vaccines as a whole have been effective so far? Absolutely. We've been focused on this cluster of cases in Provincetown, Massachusetts. The workup of this outbreak by the CDC was very interesting, but it was also a little bit misleading, I think, in the way that they presented the data. Because, they, for example, they said the viral loads in the patients who had been vaccinated and unvaccinated were roughly the same. And that's no doubt true. And in fact, I went back and read the fine print in the MMWR and, and the CT values, the cycle threshold values were nearly identical. So what they said is technically true, but it's kind of missing the point that these are all people who became symptomatic for one reason or another. And so it's not representing all the people who got vaccinated. It's all the people who failed despite getting vaccinated and what their viral loads were. And so comparing those two groups and finding that they're roughly similar doesn't tell you that the vaccines are failing. It tells you that amongst those who failed, the viral loads were high, which is not exactly the same thing. And I think we tend to sort of miss that. And more recently, there have been some studies that came out and looked at the same question, but had a longitudinal follow-up so they could see what is the natural history of someone who became infected, had a breakthrough infection, despite getting the Pfizer or the J&J vaccine. And there, the information is very clear that the viral loads drop much faster than those who've been vaccinated. So they may stay around the same height at the very beginning of an infection, but they plummet. Still to come, Christopher Gill responds to the wait and see attitude when the language of business continues. 
I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top tier business school until my first day. The curriculum at Questrom's really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Questrom School of Business and be able to work in any area of the industry. Interested? Go to bu.edu slash Questrom. You're listening to the language of business. Now, Christopher Gill responds to the wait and see attitude. Back to Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. Some people are taking what they're calling a wait and see attitude. Given your immense knowledge of global health and epidemiology, what would you say to someone who's still on the fence? These vaccines actually have been extensively studied. The two sort of licensure studies, pivotal licensure studies combined, had about 80,000 subjects in them, which is extremely large, even for vaccine studies. That is unusual. What those studies lacked was six-month follow-up because they applied for emergency use with about two months' worth of follow-up data. And so what we're seeing is, are there late deferred side effects? We will know the answer to that question within the next four to six weeks. In the meantime, something close to 180 million people in this country have received those vaccines. And we have not seen any outcroppings of the sort of occasional but the concerning side effects that you sometimes see in vaccines, like triggering of an autoimmune disorder like Guillain-Barre syndrome, which has happened with the flu vaccine, for example. Very, very, very low rates. I mean, we're talking about the one in the million range. But we have not seen that. And after 150 million people vaccinated, you would expect if it was going to happen, we would have seen it. And it has not happened. And that's just the United States. The European Union is roughly the same. So these vaccines have been put into 300 million people on the planet so far, plus, and we have not seen a safety signal. So in that regards, I think these are probably some of the most extensively studied vaccines in history, and certainly some of the most effective. BU received some extremely positive press about its efforts to keep the campus safe during the 2021 academic year. What are BU's plans for the fall, regardless of whether there's a surge or not? We were very pleased that we were able to sit in the middle of an epidemic hotspot in the city of Boston and prevent a disaster on campus. And so it can be done. And that was before vaccines. It was basically the, all of the heavy lifting was done through masking. And so now with the vaccines, I think what we're going to see is, first of all, Bob Brown has mandated vaccines for the entire faculty, staff, and student body at BU. Once that plan is executed, we will see what we have seen elsewhere in highly vaccinated communities, that there will be occasional breakthrough infections. They will be largely inconsequential infections. The sniffles may be feeling lousy for a day or two, but nothing catastrophic. Is it possible that someone might end up in the hospital? It's possible. But I think at this point, we're talking about a very, very, very low risk proposition. And on top of that, they're going to ask us to wear masks when indoors, which seems reasonable. I think maybe on the conservative side, given all of the uncertainties about the Delta variant, I think it's reasonable. Thank you very much. Dr. Christopher Gill, Professor of Global Health at Boston University. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. We now have downloads in 77 countries and 42 states plus DC. We appreciate the support. If you like our podcast, please mention it to someone and subscribe. The Language of Business is available wherever you get podcasts or ask Alexa. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of All Sweet Media. Consulting producer, Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.